0: What's up everybody? Esoteric Eddie here. Namaste. Thank you for tuning in to the audio version of Esoteric Eddie TV. I hope you enjoy this episode. Peace.
1: But the truth of that is when you're acutely dying and desperate, you don't care who reads what you write. You don't care what you write. You don't think you're going to see anyone again. I grew up around certain things that were just, I guess a cult is hidden, so we'll say a cult. Yeah.
0: Are there codes hidden in our everyday life that most people miss?
1: Yes, I would say so. I would say that generally speaking, the biggest missed code is that we are the code, you know, that's a big one. If, if people miss that, it doesn't matter what you absorb when you look around because you have no access point for connectivity.
0: And where are these codes coming from?
1: The codes, I believe, exist without us having knowing, verbiage to describe it, or really an understanding fully. But I think it's within and without, that it's one.
0: And how do we decipher these codes?
1: I think people have different methods. I think that's a good question, too, because the idea of algorithms Fascinates me, you know people have their own ways of processing and assessing and going over things and after working with Children for a while watching them, especially multiples interact. It's really neat to see algorithms at work hmm. so.
0: Is there a dark force guiding this world into an end goal
1: I think the dark force was one with the world from the beginning, that it's not driving anything. It, there's nothing new under the sun. But I think that, that that's usually put upon by people. Right? That there, there's no living evil. It's not a person, place, or thing. It's, it's literally something people channel and embody. But yeah.
0: So you said we are the code. Now, what does that mean to be a code?
1: Well, for a girl, it's just like this. And for a boy, it's usually like this. That's the simplest way to explain it because we fit together like puzzle you know puzzle pieces from the clay. but um, we are the zeros and ones of the matrix.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> this is good. Um, well. I go by a buxom pony on social media, a buxom pony. I go by misconducts on anti social media. Um, misconducts, it came about when people were using my name publicly. My real name is MAGA, M A G A, right? When that happened, it was like, This is a big warning, like, if other people don't know what this is connected to, I'm going to keep it chill and just kind of keep an eye on it. And that's why I adopted the misconducts and just kind of, you know, kept it in mind. What I didn't realize is later that misconducts being tagged all over everything in my project gave it another layer of validity and so much more context. Because if you understand the work, it starts to build a picture like they are not pieces individually that might make sense. Like a recipe. It's not about the elements separate. It's about the recipe, which is what Rx is. Recipe or spell or prescription. So, you know. Yeah. I had to start making my own. I didn't like the way they were using my name.
0: Who was using your name?
1: So, Make America Great Again, the acronym, people didn't put it together at first and start saying to me things about that at first because of the periods. Because people pay attention to punctuation. I've never followed punctuation. I don't know about you. <laughs> but for me, words I've played with, you know, a lot. So, you know. People would argue with me, no, that's not your name, you're seeing things, you're crazy. And I'm like, okay, wait till it comes out and it starts to be more obvious. Suddenly I started getting calls from kids I went to school with back in the day. I don't know why I was thinking about you. I said, did you see someone wearing a red hat today on the bus, like driving by at the cafe? Maybe when you were picking up your child, they'll be like, you know what, I did. Thanks for the oh, advertising. I have to start using this free advertising for something else. I, what, what was I gonna do? Just let them benefit from getting over on people, right? Mm. It was like too much for me. So I, I, I had to be creative at that point.
0: Do you think there was some kind of like occultic, per, uh, occultic purpose behind them using MAGA?
1: <laughs> well MAGA is the way they pronounce it make america great again and call it an acronym but it's actually maga right not an american word and maga is an occult word i would say it's the root of the occult itself (laughs) it's literally the genesis principle so you have maga is mag right female magnetism it's also well, it's many things in many ways that can be explained through etymology, which is the root word study or symbology symbols, or you can look at it from numerology even and overlap all of these things. It's really interesting, but it's definitely tied to the, I would say it is the occult itself. It's so MAGA means itself in Hungarian. It's both you and hierarchical term for you and the one above you right? So if it's you and the one above you, that could be your maker, your 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 mama, your immune system, right? It could be the oneness of all things and the resonance and harmony, or it could be used against you, which you would see it represented in many ways, like that's obvious too, like the magician tarot card, which is magi, plural, Mago, male. Mago is the feminine. But in my family's uh, cultures, in, like Spanish and Italian, it's sorceress or source. And for that to be female magnetism as we know it, and male to be electric, together we are electromagnetic. You see that it's occulting the divine feminine itself, mm. that there's no word for that. You can call it many things. It means your heart to love. It means to birth to seed. Rebirth also. But it can be used against you negatively, which yeah, once it was used publicly, it was a warning to me. I knew what it was tied to. Some of the some of the things I've known that it's tied to since I was really little. So that's it scared me at first to see that. I was like, people are hopefully not going to ever know what I know about my name, you know? Like, I don't want that to come out publicly, but how could they be using it publicly for anything but what it means? And in the Bible, it's sorcery and pharmakia. It's a pretty big warning sign when we the people are associated with that.
0: Yeah. What's the Genesis principle?
1: When I said that I believe my name is Tied to the occult, the Genesis principle. A great way to answer this would be if, if you know the Mason logo, right? Oh, if you have an awareness of the, the G, it's seven in numerology, it's a spiral visually in symbology. You have the overlap of a woman's birthing, right? And the flower of life cycle. This is the Genesis principle, it means so many things. So literally, the secret of the world, you want me to tell you, like, really? What's the Mason logo occulting? It's Genesis, not geometry, but it's both. But it's more than that. Because what is Genesis? What is a mom's secret? I'm supposed to tell you. I mean there's another woman in the room I could ask her she you know because the thing is is do you give away the secret of course you do it's love it's care so that's what makes the difference between poisoning and ruining a child or raising it like a flower raising it with water and nutrients that's the difference Mm
0: -hmm. so
1: care I would say is the Genesis principle
0: where did you grow up as a kid (laughs)
1: this is really great too oh this is a mouthful so I grew up in the home of the social engineering other than LA, which is where we are now, right? But it's close by. So the Bay Area, this is like home of the social engineering you have. We were used as experiments early on. This is why my project is close to home and resonates with other people because I woke up from this mess agenda and the social engineering of (laughs) the hate ashbury. I was a flower child. I was named Magic Flowers. It's not separate from my life, but if you understand what the Hate Ashbury really was, other than a historical neighborhood and everything, it's highly Masonic. I went to Masonic Preschool on the quarter of corner, what was it? Hayden Ash, no not Ashbury. Hayden Masonic on Masonic. (laughs) so basically there's that I rode the 33 bus every day on the other yeah I mean all of San Francisco is like this it's very integrated so I would say mostly the Hate ashbury
0: do you are you comfortable speaking on your parents yeah what were they like
1: they're amazing (laughs) they're really eccentric and I love them. my father's an artist you can probably tell by my quirkiness like There's artists, well, my mom's an artist as well, but um, they're both from other countries. So I've always been like mostly the American in the family. Like They all have cool cultures and speak multi languages. And I was just like the American with like no real culture. And at the time was not multilingual or anything and realized that I grew up with pop culture. That's what we grew up with. We were brainwashed completely. And when I realized that I was like, wait, all the things I like, every genre, every aesthetic, every style, every cut, everything you could purchase, everything you could try on everything, unless you made it yourself. And even then where's the influence really come from? It's high social engineering and programming. So what did I even really like? It's like, you're so highly artistic and aesthetic and but for, at, for what, you know, at what? There was no, it was like nonstop and it became this void. It was like, where am I from? Like San Francisco's roots have been blood red from the
0: beginning. Aquino, Michael Aquino, the famous Setian.
1: The fifth degree of initiation is MAGA, M-A-G-A. That's a fifth degree of initiation in the temple of Set, which originates out of the Church of Satan, who he was also heavily involved with early on
0: so are you comfortable speaking on your aunt
1: my aunt is she's really someone that is part of this project yes I would say my aunt (laughs) bless her heart she just passed this is difficult Um, she argues with my father that she named me both of those are compliments by the way that they argue about this Um, because my, I was going to be a boy supposedly and she said, no Maga, it's a girl. So they argued. But the fact is she took me aside very young and gave me my first deck of tarot cards. She sat me down. I was almost pre verbal to any real conversation at a dinner table with adults. So maybe six, something, seven, I don't know, maybe younger. And I'm sitting there and I remember wearing something kind of like this, like a PJ oversized thing with a giant teddy bear. And I'm sitting there talking to her and she's like, no, no, come sit with me. This little table, she pulls it out, puts it in front of me, like this little table, actually, and she said, "Uh, look at these cards with me. She went over my birthday, my name, she said things to me that blew my mind. Of course, I thought she was kidding or playing because I'm pretty young but the cards were beautiful, and they were very, very, very magnetic for me. I didn't realize that was my calling, the archetype of the Magi to, you know, reads the cards and it's based on astro theology. And so as above, so below, it's, it's basically, but it's, it's, it's not separate from my name, but at that time I was so young. They might've said I was magic or like, you know, joking my name, like association, but I had no idea what she was referring to with this deck of cards it seemed like a very serious adult game so she was talking to me and said to me very specific things which i do have to mention because when she passed i did not get a chance to tell her but i almost did so i'll tell you now she said when you're older you're going to do something very specific your birthday is very specific I thought she was kidding, trust me. This is not related to my project, only like recently did I realize like this. when she passed. She just passed. So for all the people that think I've spent my whole life with this Genesis principle, Magi symbolism, no. I blocked it out. Never wanted to tell people my name symbolism. In fact, in church, I was called blasphemous for telling someone my name. Later, I found out my name means church. <laughs> I was like, they're so silly. They don't know about the it was like, oh, oh well, it's okay. Forgive them for they know not what they do. My name is not just church, it's body, temple, oh pineal awareness, oneness with, with everything. But at this time when I'm so little, she's reading to me this, just the symbols. She says, what do you see? She says, you're straight, like she was strangely taken back. And I was like, she's just playing with me or something. She said specifically, You're going to do something to change the world when you're older. Something with words and writing. And I said, What do you mean? Because I, I was starting to get nervous. It's making me suddenly uncomfortable. <laughs> I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I was very young. I was not decided on that. No, uh uh-uh, uh, not at all. She said to me very specifically, It's not a book.
0: Hmm. Do, you feel, do you feel like your family has some ties to some occult or spiritual force yeah
1: she, she sorry it made me laugh because I didn't I forgot to mention because you asked me about my aunt and who she was so she wasn't just my aunt wasn't just someone that influenced me in the occult young she was an intense character herself poet activist a wonderful woman, like, lived like a recluse, okay? And she wasn't like anyone else at all. She's very intense. I mean, one of the experiences I had with her last at a restaurant when I went to go grab something on our way out, and I said, Oh, I'll just leave it. And she said, Liberate the ketchup, it has a soul. I didn't know what she meant. Now to me, food shouldn't be kept like that. It made sense to me. So I was like, was it really that crazy? Like things like that. But she's always been deeply intellectual and her name is Alma and Alma Matar, I just said she passed. She was my Alma mater. I didn't go to the university, but I inherited her as my earth goddess education, if you will, almost via DNA, because we didn't have a close relationship. She was estranged from family and apparently people lately have been saying some things about her work and my work. And I'm excited because it seems I might be I might be more connected to her in her passing than we were in our lives. Because she lived as a recluse, even away from her own children.
0: Mm.
1: And um, what a w- interesting way to, to show people that you don't die, die when you die. That <laughs> like you're just not physically here, but if anything, your absence makes sense. You have a heart growth on her and care being the generative principle. She's very much here with me now, you know being in San Francisco for one um, there there are celebrities around I would say on a smaller scale so I wasn't as aware like as in LA area growing up somewhere like that Um, no one really stood out to me that I would really even care about but yes Robin Williams when I met him it was enough to stop me from speaking I was flying alone back from Italy on a flight and um, the flight attendant said to me would you like to pass out a, a bag of mints and i said yeah sure and just like really it's so me to like not go towards vip and just be like nope turn around and walk backwards and give everyone else mints first and who's sitting behind me robin williams of course, I was like eight years old, so I'm stuck on stupid, and I'm like looking at him, and I'm like, <sighs> I "Just had this look on my face." And he's like, "Do you want to sit down? Are you okay?" <laughs> and I was just like, uh, "I mean, I was just like really floored." And he was like um, really nice about it. He took the bag of candies. He's like, "Thanks." And I guess he really liked candy, so um, that was an experience. And he just. Was the nicest person. Like, he spoke to me the whole flight. We were, we got along so well, it was like an isolated moment in time. And he was someone that I'll never really forget. He asked me, Do you want me to walk you to your parents? Well, I was like, I guess so. So I was like, Why? Like, <laughs> okay. And that became a theme with celebrities as I got older, too, where this would go. <laughs> This would go in a similar way where I just didn't understand some of our interaction was so pleasant to them that they would like to keep in touch. And I was like, okay. But so I introduced him to my dad, and I come walking out with a grown up, I'm holding his hand. I'm sure my dad is like, oh, this is so maga. I'm like, eight years old. Du-du-du-du-du, walking out. My dad is like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, dad, it's Popeye. Like, I introduced him as Popeye, who does that? Um, I knew in my little girl brain that it was Mork from Ork, Nanu, Nanu, because, you know, my father and I watched that religiously. (laughs) You know, I loved Mork from Ork, but I was too obsessed with Popeye. I must have watched that movie a hundred times. The music, the styling, everything about it, I was obsessed with so for me to see him in person and know that he'd been multiple characters it was impossible for me to call him anything but Popeye. and then he tried to write his autograph as we left and i was like again why but i took this little thing i didn't know what it was and i brought it to show and tell and the teacher read it and when she read it she read robin williams And I was so confused, and when she came back, I ripped it up, the little matchbook he wrote it on, which had a little house on it. I wish I kept it, but that was funny because I was so offended it didn't say Popeye. It's how brainwashed I was, you understand. Later I realized Popeye is the archetype of the sailor, alien, and angel, which is one etymology. It's not different. So he's that archetype. Williams, I was raised on a computer doing, my father was a graphic artist. Um, I tested video games, Nintendo, I was like the only girl really testing with the this group of kids. They fed us nothing but sugar and pizza and watched us behind this glass thing in this area. It was really weird, we had so much fun, but I was like, I don't know, I was in another universe. I was like aware that this was in a, a portal to another world. <laughs> So I was uh, raised around a lot of digital stuff, and um, all these digital devices here piling up around me. I like to reference because I think it is a big reference of how my generation grew up, which is unfortunate. <laughs> but yeah.
0: You mentioned to me before that you believed you were gender fluid. Why was? Oh,
1: growing up in. Well. Oh, I forgot to finish saying before about Robin Williams. He he ended up naming his daughter Zelda. He's really into video games. And I know that because my stepmother ended up delivering, helping deliver Zelda years later. So, cause he lived in, what was it? Like the Mill Valley area. And so he was in the vicinity of my life growing up a lot. <laughs> it's like, now that I think about it, I probably bumped into him so many times and didn't even know, but. Uh, Yeah, so she helped deliver Zelda and he was big into video games and stuff. And uh, growing up in the Castro in San Francisco, another area I lived in, that's another historical socially engineered area, which I had no idea until much later, it's like for all the people that loved watching the Harvey Milk movie and getting all into the rights of the Castro to understand the social engineering ties to the same social engineering as the Haight-Ashbury and these other areas that it is all structured is a big deal but the um the castro district the programming that i grew up with if you will was so subtle right i went to what i now know was an elementary school in the castro but i didn't realize it at the time you know and i do have strange experiences about that school which i could get to another time but the Fluidity, for one, let's address that term, gender fluid. For one, I was under the conditioning that that was a real thing. Let's start there. It's not a real thing. The guy that invented it is a pedophile. His last name is maybe Money, John Money. What is this guy's name? I can give you the name later and I can give you the links. But like the Kinsey, uh, data and research and and foundation and um, they're corrupt to the core. So not only did gender fluidity creep into me as a a possibility because I was such an open person and I didn't view people based on their sex, that's how they got me, see? It was like reverse psychology. (laughs) It's like, wait, how'd you do that? (laughs) but uh, I finally understood that yeah the sex is something that is is not just surface body uh, mind it's um, cellular it's it's definitely coded in our coding Um, genesis if you will is procreation flower of life as I said MAGA used in that kind of way then you have like the inverted version which is bleaching from the flower of life and um,
0: so when did you like I guess realize that you weren't gender fluid and did that come about
1: well about the time I started learning because it was slow because I still felt even though I was mostly like a straight person that I was still queer because I was like okay that makes sense Queer is a state of mind maybe you can any anything even could be queer it's a queer could be a mood it could be like a passing thing but there's not like anything solid there that needs to be fixed or changed right it's more accepting so I started realizing that there's degrees of that and for a straight person I was like queer but for my gay friends I was definitely queer like I'm maybe more queer than them growing up in the Castro and the Haight-Ashbury and so eccentric with family not from the states and all this stuff I thought but then it turns out I'm so much more traditional <laughs> I'm much more traditional and that's, that's where they start calling you, what is the term, lefty, leftist, something. I don't know these terms. See, people think I'm political because my name's bees and for that purpose, but I'm like, no, they just like my name. Politics, multiple ticks, I don't choose from them. You see? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm seriously saying, so I don't get involved with that, but.
0: Yeah, so in your- But
1: so the gender fluidity, when it yeah. went out the window, when I did the research, when I realized, even as an adult, that I was Trying to figure, everyone's still trying to figure out things all the time. I don't think every, anyone stops, nor should they. I don't think they should. <laughs> People that think they know, don't stop. <laughs> don't stop. Pretend you don't know. But I think when I had the, the awareness that there was a program that existed where this sick person came up with, the coined the term, then I was like, that really doesn't work for me so so growing up in the Castro was one thing going in the, the gay parades where and the um, Folsom parade the we Are so weird all that stuff it was fun until the children were dancing in the parades with them then it was like really hard to explain to the child that I was nannying at the time I was like don't look at that I'm like covering his eyes and I'm like his mom is a lawyer what was it, apple or something. At the time, I'm like trying to cover his eyes. I'm like, no, that's totally not normal. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not gonna say that's normal for him. Like, I refused. And that's where it was like a weird catch-22 growing up in the Castro where I was like, I can't as a nanny say that that's normal, I'm sorry. That child shouldn't be in high heels and lipstick and receiving money in front of adults. It's really weird. I'd like to just let people know that this project came about inadvertently it wrote itself when my name was being used publicly and I was healing from very serious trauma in my family and um, breaking generational curses it's a big one. Um, I would say that what happened to me when I woke up from that was similar in the sense of feeling like I survived Some trickle down, bad blood in the family perhaps, some maybe mind control can't confirm it because I'm still looking into it. Other people ask me a lot and they also say a lot of my artwork looks that way. But I remind them we're using devices that are aimed at serving you nothing but mind control. So chicken egg, I don't know don't hate the player hate the game (laughs) I try to use the symbolism for the right reasons Um, but what happened to me was similar to what's happening to the world and it was surviving a sort of conditioning a mindset if you will and belief system and um, a lot of it was tied to inappropriate things I had to learn Where my inner circle was like where it started and stopped and I realized it's right here This is it It's right here. Everything starts with this circle. So For what it's worth the healing that I went through it was nonlinear, you know, and it's still going on but it's it's been wonderful and um, What I survived was really
0: intense What did you survive?
1: I survived a sort of um, a closeness, if you will, that is taboo. So what happened to me, what I survived, I don't talk about it so much in detail, but the grooming, the social conditioning, the mind control, trafficking on a smaller scale. I'm not trying to minimize trafficking. We have to be careful how we word this. What it is is that I thought I loved this person and I'm not saying that makes it any better. I'm saying that for me this was something that to this day doesn't exist data. There's no long-term data on this. They don't study this. Women are supposed to benefit from being molested, according to the data. Thank Kinsey for that. Kinsey is, a, is another one, pedophile, you know, a self-mutilating pedophile that was re- repressed in his sexuality. But the acceptance of it was bizarre, too. So these these extremes were, you know, Something I had to grow up and grow out of and understand and even realize that I can't even blame my family because this Programming is the same agenda. It's the same programming with the same footprint all over it the same smell This is how I know That's how I know some of those things that people are just now getting books on and studying or using ciphers to decode I grew up around certain things that were just, I guess a cult is hidden, so we'll say a cult. Yeah. The awareness that I had, surviving what I did growing up, it was a form of grooming and conditioning socially. It affected my family. I've never blamed my family for that directly, um, except for when I was acutely Dying, which ties into uh, more current events like the spike cycle, which I've tracked having since 2012 But the truth of that is when you're acutely dying and desperate you don't care who reads what you write You don't care what you write. You don't think you're gonna see anyone again You feel differently and a lot of this story did come from this place originally where I was dying, when my name was publicly being used for the Trump campaign, not my name, but people were associating it with, you know, I couldn't meet someone without them saying, oh my God, are you a Trump fan? I was either that being really stoked or being really upset with me, and either one was too much for me. So I just wanted people to have some awareness about the symbolism, and I think realizing what I survived helped me not demonize my family or magic itself especially when i revealed that we are that magic and it's really being occulted still and um my family's only been an inspiration to me i married my we'll say the person that i was very tied to in my family i ended up marrying his best friend so you could see how the imprinting right got transferred to a sort of safer option that was similar. It was like a way of jumping out of the heat, right into the frying pan, or right out of the frying pan into the heat, or into the heat, into the frying pan. I'm stoned. But you see what I'm saying? You don't go from one trauma to another. But in my life, that was not even the beginning. (laughs) Not even the beginning. So it was the closest person to him. And in a way I thought would fix everything but it ruined their relationship. They didn't speak for many years. And um, I think they do now, but now we don't speak that much. The, The way that I speak to my family and the timeline rewriting that I do, it's a oneness that they'll feel without having to speak to me or hear from me. It's like a ripple effect. And it's working. (laughs) I don't know how, but it's working. I mean, I thank God, I know how. It's completely source connected. I don't have resentment. Like, I don't hold that in my heart. There's no way. Um, This person was influential to me, like maybe the most influential person to me. I looked up to them. We act alike, we dress alike. I mean, we don't look that much alike. You look more like him than I do but we act a lot alike and sense of humor, a lot of the interest. And again, that goes into right back to what was I raised with and what was me? What what were my influences? What did I like? Was it put upon me as some sort of programming? I had to try to assess these things. But he was very um, inspirational and influential in my life. Right, So there's a, he's a big part of my life and of this project. My first husband I was with for was less it? than a year. And, and we did get into that for a second. And um, he was used to being a famous musician on the road. So there was no way that was ever going to be a thing. I knew that, which is why I married him. <laughs> I was like, let's do this. People are like, you don't want to do that. And I was like, why not? Slap it in the face of reality is an understatement, but I will say that because it was only 11 months, it was a quick transition. And then I met out of all places on in the Haight-Ashbury where I said I would never date anyone. I will not date anyone I meet in the Haight-Ashbury. That's what I said growing up. But um, I actually met Nala there. Nala and I were together for a long time and he was a exceptional, human being, and he helped me um, heal a lot because I was like normal. Like there's a thing like that, like there's a thing. And I really sort of took on a lot from Nala, like a lot. He raised me to have the most awesome moral compass. Like he helped me understand that raising a bar was sort of possible but like more than that like this this was like my partner and I now very similarly where we we were together about the same amount of time almost 10 years before and after 9-11 and very close when 9-11 hit we were there like less than two miles away
0: yeah yeah we're gonna get into that too yeah but so so who was Nala
1: Uh, Nala when I met him I was still very young and he was like 24, he's a tattoo artist. Um, he was like Ed Hardy's prodigal son at the time. I didn't know what a tattoo artist was. I definitely didn't think they were cute. White boys that look like so awesome. Like, I was like, aren't they like burly trucker dudes that like, with like plumber crack and like, I don't know, beer in their hand, I don't know. At the time, you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't as popular. And he was um, exceptionally different in my life. Yeah, we, we traveled the world, we went to Italy, where actually out of all places where my father was born. And so I was like, how did we end up going there for you to teach a seminar on tattooing, like the place my father was born? Riccione. like, okay. That was really, really interesting, but that happened. Wow. Oh, so Nala was a good friend of the person that passed. Eddie was best friends with Nala. They had been estranged from each other for years, and Nala wasn't able to attend the funeral. This was something that was hard for me, being there and knowing and loving Eddie so much. Eddie was dealing with a sort of paranoid feeling that he was, bad things were going to happen and he was going to die. He was gonna be crazy or something. And when he called me one night, I said to him, you know, I Think about this every second of every day. And so what if you are you'll be my crazy friend and People reminded me that some of his last photos were taken by me But he didn't want anybody to take him to take photos of them. So he he trusted me Implicitly only because and I know this his bond with growing up with Mala. They were one of the first families, I think, on Roosevelt Island. I think so. I hope I get that right. Um, But anyway, they were very close. So they were estranged. I I said it was an honor and an obligation to be there through this. And at the time of this memorial service, the house is filled with everyone going to the funeral services, family from out of town. I sneak in from an all-nighter and go upstairs to take a nap. In the baby's bed area of course right and I'm like no well, no <laughs> just needed like a power nap you know just, just real quick and um, I ran down the stairs after my experience and I screamed I just saw Eddie and everyone turned pale as a ghost the woman of the house who happened to be Haitian grabbed me by the hand and was like in, in my culture, that's really the message that usually comes is to the, the, the child of that family. I was sleeping in her bed. And I'm very sensitive. So that wasn't a coincidence to her. She pulled me aside and said, tell me everything that he said or that happened. She wasn't wigged out by it. And I, I almost started crying because I was half asleep. Again, I feel hypnagogic, so I have no idea. Like, yeah. What is what sometimes, I was half asleep. But the message that he gave me, it was like, I was having a dream. I was deep into a sleep, but he, I heard this knock. he's like, Maga, I heard a voice. Eddie, everyone is looking for you. That's what I'm saying to him. And he's like, oh, Maga, and all I can see is like the overhead of sun coming through a forest and a path that's being walked. No footsteps. It's not really from his perspective. It's just like, there's no him. It's oneness. It's a path being walked with sun shining through the trees. And he's like, I just got places to be. Tell everyone I'm okay. He said, except for one person. And he gave me a message for someone specific. And cause I didn't know what it was. It turned out that person was a policeman and that's, he may have been too scared to say goodbye to him before he passed. And that's why he, the message came after his death, because he was too scared to reach out to him. Because he was paranoid. Remember I said that he was dealing with... And that was, that was from Pharmakia, by the way. I really want to mention that. That it was not in his personality or um, a natural death, in my opinion. I want to say that that i really believe and i'm really kind of glad you asked and i'll finish a little with the dream but you know the fact that within two to three months there was this drastic shift in him that was a, immediately like another person i was terrified for him i was terrified but i loved him so much so when i attended the that happened and it was like because i was close to him through nala i believe care being the generative principle and being in the child's bed which is another added layer of like energetic auric you know rebirth it was a portal of sorts and all of a sudden when he was speaking to me in this experience i knew there was a reason why i was doing this because i was like strangely compelled and I always have been when someone dies and funerals happen I'm strangely compelled I thought I was gonna be a nun or something growing up when Nala painted portraits of all of his ex-girlfriends there were like three significant portraits one of them with a mohawk one with like pigtails and one with a nun habit I thought I was the one with the shaved head and mohawk because she also looked like me or we also look alike. All of them are archetypes that look kind of similar to a degree, but he's like, no, you're the nun. (laughs) I was like, that's interesting. Later I find out my name is associated with it. Sometimes I wonder if he knew more about the symbolism than he let on. You know, I used to doubt that I had any paranormal experiences, but. After talking with other people that don't know what a paranormal experience may even be, and I like to ask them, like, do you remember being a kid and like peeing in your bed because you thought you were in the bathroom? Because like, I'm trying to simplify things and show them that that's the realm we're talking about. Like, you really thought you were there because you really, you know, there's no way you would have peed in the bed on purpose. People are like, oh, yeah. So um, that's one way. There were a lot of, that happened so much as a child for me where I thought I, not the peeing in the bed, but (laughs) that happened like once. Once I did that and I really, really realized that that was a thing, I always had ways to double check if I was awake or not. Because this became the problem for me was, am I asleep or awake? Am I asleep or awake? And I think also having a lot of the trauma occur in sleep sort of realm that it became hypervigilance from, you know, hypervigilance was like my best friend. <laughs> and there was a, a sort of hypnagogia, like I feel hypnagogic, you never fully sleep again. You know, um, during 9-11, we were less than two miles away in the Lower East Side. So like a mile and a half or something. and. Um, <clears throat> to be fair, I'm not going to say it was a t- like telepathy per se, now that we know explosives were used. I was sleeping very close to the cement ground in a non-residential f- storefront. So I could have picked up vibrations in the atmosphere very clearly. That, that may be possible. Um, but I woke up the night before. I, I, I don't remember anything except the animals being concerned. And they slept all, we had at the time three hairless cats. They were one under each arm and one on top of me. And from other reports of people with pets, they tend to do that in these situations. They hold you down, they know something's going on. So I woke up with them like that all on me in one spot, which was very strange, almost like they were protecting me. But I woke up back to the hypnagogia thing again. I was talking like I was awake, and I was saying what was going on, and he was saying, it's a dream, go back to sleep. And I was saying, get up and get dressed, it's already happened, it's already happening. So someone rattles on the iron gate, and it's not, you know, lifted up, because we're not even supposed to be in there. So we basically hear them say, come to the corner and watch the TV. That was a big warning sign for me. They knew we didn't have TV, see, at the tattoo shop. We gamed all the time, we had tons of computers which is drink Red Bull. Don't recommend that. That's really terrible ingredients in there, Pharmakia. But at the time, a lot a lot of gaming, and <laughs> so, you know, they knew we didn't have a TV. So they said, this is a big warning sign for people too. When you hear someone say, come and watch the TV, remember that that is a choice and that anything that's shown to you on a TV is very deliberate, even if it's supposed to look like an accident. I work behind the scenes and on set, and. Um, Men in Black, Spider Man, Sopranos, things like this. And you see it rain during the day, daytime, during nighttime. It felt canned. And later, when I worked on Men in Black, too, I think I, I felt the same feeling as I did that day, which was this false sense of reality that was being like, yeah, right? And I'm like, no. Like something in me was like no, but still no, and I was you know called names for this, and I didn't mind because I've always been kind of the weird one. <laughs> like it's okay, you know, but um yeah, nine eleven was interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> was casting was interesting. I, I mean, I wasn't like a casting director to be clear. I was privileged enough to be at a a party of people having an intimate dinner where Nala of all people said anyone know of an extra job she's looking for an extra It was like yeah someone is gonna say something cool like I didn't expect that but he was an adult I was like our age difference was, you know, I was like 17 when he was 24 or something. So there's a big age difference in this group of friends and whatnot. So I was embarrassed at the table. I was like, don't do that. I can get my own jobs. I'm not trying to get a lot. I was like, no. <laughs> but then when my friend later became a friend of mine was like, you can come be an assistant for me. And I was like, what do you do? And he was into casting, and I was like, that's weird. Because I knew I didn't want to be in that industry, so that interested me. Because I didn't want to move, like, move in an industry where there was pressure on something I wanted to do. So I was like, that's perfect. So I got into that. But there were times on set where I'd be a distraction. Like, I'm a distraction. You know, I get it. And they would honk and make, oh, Roxy. They had to call me Roxy because no one could say my name. So. I was a distraction and this, this the um, producers would come up to me and ask me if I read copy do I want to read on you know and I didn't know what that was and uh, they would talk smack about me because I was like was really naive I was but it was also because I didn't want to be in that industry so I thought they were all full of themselves and very strange but some of them are good people some of them were really cool um, very good people and I had really interesting experiences working in that, yeah.
0: Yeah. Did people in the industry try to recruit you as an actress?
1: Well, yeah, that was the thing was, um, I would say not as much when I work there, but more so at a different point of my life. Uh, But when I work there, it was more like people trying to recruit you to give them speaking parts, SAG. SAG is like a mark where they, they, they have a credential and a credit that they want. So even if they have, money and accolades in their life and like things are great. It's like, if they want to be famous, they're like trying to find a way to bribe you or like impress you. So when you walk into casting, sometimes you have to kick away all the gifts and the things and the way, cause you're like, wow. Like, so, so that environment I knew was this unhealthy breeding ground of manipulative power where I was like, I only used it once. I got tickets to Roxy Music rufus wayne White was opening you know met him in the lobby and he was dating my my neighbor which was really funny and it was a a great experience but i felt bad after like i felt like i took blood money you know what i mean it didn't feel right so i was asked by two separate friends in la that don't know each other to go on this audition two separate times and both times they rejected my friends as participants, or they denied wanting to do it. I mean, or they, not denied, they they decided that they couldn't give them, what was it? Certain sound bites. And I was known for saying inappropriate things. So I was like, okay. So the first time I let it slide, like, okay, they didn't pick you. Let's go, let's just go. So we leave. And then my other girlfriend asked me to go on the same audition. And she's like, just come with me, please. And I, I didn't know it was the same show till they're there and they're like, Oh, it's you again. Can you just say we want you to do it? And I was just like, I have a huge hickey on my neck, you know, and that we're supposed to be like the exes of this one girl. So on the audition, I go with the real guy I'm dating and we're pretending we're her ex and we can't sell it because the people at the audition can tell we're like in love. He, He passed, by the way, my, 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 um, Rest in paradise, Pepe Martinez. No, one of my favorite people, Uh, Pisces power too, no. He still visits me in dreams as well, which is a trip. So you're not really gone, again, not really gone. But, um, and he was with my hairless cat when he visited me and he's never met my hairless cat in that dream. So that was weird too, because I was like, well, they never met. But at this audition where we were together trying to sell it that we were an ex of this woman, they didn't believe it at all. They could tell we were totally in love, but they could only pick one person, a girl they needed. So they picked me. So I go on the show with this giant hickey that my obvious boy, like they, they met him. There's no denying it, okay? So it was all false pretense. There was no real date on the dating show. We met on camera. The first thing he said was, I can see Maga had fun last night. And I was like, that's what he wants to focus on. I said, if he wants to focus on that. It's all, is on from here, so I wasn't very nice. It, Hi. How are you? Hi, Merrick. Maga, nice, nice to meet, nice meet you. Nice to meet you. We got something in your neck. I was <sighs> like two seconds, and that's the first question. Oh my god! <laughs> it's, it's noticeable. Though. It's noticeable, mm-hmm. but it's not in question form, so I don't have to. It really was. I used my real name. I wasn't trying to act. You know, like I was just like I thought it was really funny. But it kind of haunted me for a bit, some of the things I said later. The character role that I was playing is very much like the the character I was groomed to be. And it, it, some of those sound bites are like, it's fun to degrade boys. What else are they good for? Um, if anyone's going to be a pervert, it's going to be me. Like, Because I was a photographer and there's a scene where They were trying to manipulate the situation, and I knew what they wanted. I wasn't gonna give it to them, but um, we had fun in this fake date thing, but what was interesting about it was, at the time, couch surfing for like seven months, which ties into a whole nother story. There was basically, I was staying at my friend's house that night after recording the show who happened to be from New York from casting and he was an editor and he said oh I'm so glad you're here how weird we're in LA like this is weird he's like I'm doing a new show and I'm like oh I just recorded a show today how interesting right he goes um he tells me the name of the show we realized we were talking about the same show all, all like for an hour. And he's like, I'm editing your episode when I get to work on Monday. And I'm like, I'm crashing on your couch and I just spent all day with the people you work for and you're gonna go edit me when you get to work. And I was like, cool, he's gonna take out the one scene that I didn't want in it. And I didn't even have to ask him because like he just knew knowing me that it was a misrepresentation. Mm -hmm. But what are the chances of that, right? It's really
0: interesting. Why did you leave the the movie industry?
1: I was never meant to be in it. Um, It was was uncomfortable for me. I've walked out of production meetings like with Barry Sonnenfeld for Men in Black where like I, I was decked out wearing like a red diesel power suit, stiletto boots, red lipstick, bleach blonde hair, blue aviator glasses. And I was like super decked out. I mean, I was wearing like a skin tight red suit and I walk in there and I look at people and I'm like, I sit down and I really tried, okay? I tried about this long. Mm. And I got up as if as if I was in the wrong room and I left and I in the elevator was literally like, I hope I make it out of here alive. <laughs> I felt like a piece of meat, like a, a steak. For one, okay, because I wasn't an actor, I wasn't, Really supposed to be there, but I was decked out and like I felt like just a piece of eye candy. like really, that's the only reason why I'm here. It felt really uncomfortable. <laughs> I had to leave. Mm-hmm. and I like the way it felt. It was so weird.
0: Yeah, so you eventually started working for a strange company that ran.
1: Oh yeah. Website. So it wasn't a sex website. Let's be fair. okay, so he was he was known for um internationally. So I kind of helped him create this, I'm not gonna lie. He came to me because I had experience with computers and stuff, and he said, could you design an internationally-based website, uh, adult website, escort-based website, so it's not, we don't know what they're doing on these appointments, but we know they have to stick to a certain agreement, at least with us on a certain scale, and at least know, so there's some, Some safety precautions or check things they do, but I wasn't involved with that So I was only involved with designing the website Mostly telling people what to do. Let's be fair. I'm not a technical person, but it was it was like being admin for An adult world that I already grew into grew up around not the escort but adult industry and that ties into you know, my childhood in San Francisco. It wasn't in LA or New York or any of the, you know, bigger areas, but I did grow up around the adult industry. They, that job went on for years and it was across from the Chrysler building. I had an office on Lexington Ave by myself for years. I'd get promotions to stay. I didn't know, like, the weight of what I was doing. It was more like, he had a ton of websites and companies, and warehouses, moving companies, driving companies. It was a lot of stuff. I just thought I was just involved with one of his projects. So, you know, um, he was—he reminds me of a little Israeli Al Pacino, you know. And he flew me once to um, Miami to the adult convention. We stayed at what was it, the Delano or Delano Hotel? next to Puff Daddy and JLo, but we got to pick our room first, so we got the bigger one, because I think they were trying to hide from the paparazzi (laughs) when they were on the under. Um, I I did do a lot of interesting things with that company. You would think I would have been more around the adult industry in that that company, but I wasn't. It was very secluded, it was very separate. I was um, surprised at how separate it was from everything else running. so it was enough to be compartmentalized and, and um i did print ads for him i did um the graphics on the website i would speak to the the people individually whether they were dancers models performers um things like that and i would just try to be the middle person always try to communicate and mostly lean into the graphics we so we stayed in contact very Loosely, because I remember every time I wanted to quit, I'd get a raise, so it made it hard to do that. But it became boring. Like I would download music on Napster all day, or teach myself Flash animation, like just to do something, right? Um, And I would get mad at him when he wouldn't actually like follow through on his plans. I'd be like. What do you mean? Like we've been working on this, right? He's like, no, I like it the way it is. I'm like, you're gonna keep me here forever. <laughs> so it was torture. But uh, so I quit working for him at, so at one point. Um, and, I, and Nala and I even bro- broke up. I think I worked for him again after I was 25. Actually, he bought me, where is it? This video iPod when we reunited and he's like, you wanna do some work for me? These black video iPods, you remember these? so archaic, I could watch movies on these. So so we did reconnect when I was older and that was when I noticed that he was less into that stuff. He was starting to get into other stuff. Um, And, and it didn't work out, not for any other reason like then it was the same old routine. It was just like, yeah. there's still no reason for me to, and I was just visiting New York. So I was just like, thanks for the iPod. Yeah. The last time I checked his website recently on the archive way back, you know, yeah. I, I saw it was seized by Homeland Security. So
0: yeah. All right, so jumping forwards many years, I guess. Something started to happen in your life around 2020 that led you down the path to eventually almost dying. What, what, started, what started that whole process?
1: Well, when I was acutely dying, as I call it, over and over, and I counted 13 times in the ER in one, one year, I didn't know what was causing it. I, I knew I had a lot of health issues and had grown up trying to be cared for in the healthcare system. This is a touchy subject, but even my partners have w- witnessed uh, really strange treatment from people. I think that have been targeted since I was young through the medical system. A lot of people have, I'm not the only one. Um, I have really horrific experiences that I've had in hospitals and, and I don't really wanna get into it, but if anyone ever wants to talk about that kind of thing, I. Talk about that kind of thing pretty openly. It's unfortunate, but I think they misuse power. And um, it, it dawned on me that a couple things went wrong in my choices with my health and things I had put in my body. I was having adverse reactions to things, including earlier flu shots. I stupidly accepted an H1N1, I was hungover. I felt like I wanted to die, that's why I was drinking. I pretty much wanted to numb out feeling and I stupidly was picking up prescriptions probably medicines from Walgreens Walgreens super satanic their whole logo the W is 666 it's it's all embedded dude it's all pharmacia. they're like literally like hey you want a flip shot and I'm like yeah what well, could be worse than dying go ahead like any adverse reaction No, it'll just make your arm red maybe and so they don't give people the breakdown they don't give you the leaflet they don't read you there you don't sign things there's no boundary for your cellular rape that is happening I did it to myself unfortunately but I think more people now should be educated because I don't think it should be that easily you know, accepted that, that you could ruin your DNA structure literally that, or even eating GMO food was tied to it. The medications I was given growing up for being misdiagnosed as having some mental thing that doesn't exist unless you admit it, Rockefeller medicine is real, not to sell pharma, not my name definition. I can heal myself, thank you very much please i'm not about to do that it's not okay just saying so you i was a little upset and i didn't know i was acutely dying i didn't know what i would do so the way the way that it happened where i became very ill i dropped down 80 pounds i was unable to eat food and i would tell them in the emergency room just write food intolerance because I wouldn't let them vent me which is why I'm alive that I would tell them just give me an IV I'll be hydrated I'll be able to eat again and I'll be all right and they would and I did that almost every month one year to save my life but then at 80 pounds I left a year and a half before the lockdown to go see my estranged mother who I hadn't seen in eight years about like infinity right eight years is a long time not to be okay with your mom And I blamed her for things that I don't think I ever had a right to, that even the thought of it is so hurtful, but it was programming that I broke. But I left the country at 80 pounds, unsure if I would be able to even make the flight. I knew that I had to see my family and I was warning that we would be locked down. I was saying that there were things happening in America. I wasn't the only one that was compromised or sick or that you might view as crazy. I've been targeted, there's many of us. And then my mom thought it was crazy for me to come back. She's like, if that's all true, because I didn't tell her all that, I simply said there are things happening. They, I said they're making climate refugees based on housing and fires and tried to keep it in a way that like, she could digest. But I knew it was much bigger and I had been tracking it a long time, my whole life. My mom raised me 30 years of my life and and then asked me, would you, how would you feel if I left? And I was like, I'm fully okay with that. I think you should. I think everyone should leave America. (laughs) So I encouraged her to go. And uh, I've always been very close and love her, even though I did have a lot of that resentment. But once I worked through it and met up with her in person and once she said to me, how could you go back if you know what's going on? And I said to her, because mama, you named me this for a reason, I was born in America for a reason, I don't consent to this, I know what's going on. I gotta like at least, I wanted to see Derek again too. I was like, you know, there are reasons why I gotta go back. I can't, run. wherever you go, there you are, you can't run away from something. And I really did think I was gonna die there based on my health. I even contemplated walking into the ocean, no one would have known for days. Um, it was living in extreme terrain, like Arctic climate in a very, I'm, I'm talking months of rainstorms and electric rainstorms where you're really tested to your like, to your last, like, you know, your very last, like you you, if you don't have a core, you will be sucked. And I've heard this from other people. If you're in another country, there are certain places, the magnetism so strong, it will consume you. You will never be able to leave there. It's like an island. It's very much like that. It's a, it's a tropic climate, but also beachy, sand dunes in the middle of nowhere, flat 300 maybe people in this village on the, it's, you barely get Wi-Fi, middle of nowhere. It's not where people go touristy, the elite go vacation. This is in the middle of nowhere. And it was hard to even um, access simple things the, go to the doctor, get food. You know, that's when I was like, am I getting more injured here? I need to leave. And actually I survived a near fatal fall. There was a nine foot fall, almost died. So I was like, I gotta leave. That's when I told my mom, I don't mind anymore if I'm crippled, homeless, jobless, struggle. Every single second I'm back there, I need to leave no matter what. I was like, (laughs) can I have the rest of that tea? like, I love it. <laughs> I forgot where I was, but yeah, oh, <laughs> so I was detained there over a year and a half, and I thought, maybe I'll stay. Maybe it doesn't matter, you know, Maybe people will figure it out. Like I'm tired of trying to help people and everyone call me names and it gets so tiring. So I really thought that was at my I was at my, you know, the end of the line for me, and like I even contemplated walking into the water where I was cuz it was so extreme this climate there was like arctic climate and terrain months of electrical rainstorms and like isolation not speaking English for over a year and a half it felt a lot like being on an episode of survivor or something or naked and afraid to be more accurate cuz survivors not a real you know but it, it felt like that like you can pick one one tool to take with you what will it be? I'm like lighter give me I smoke so I was just like I'll take the lighter sure smart people would take like the pan or the pot or something but when I when I dealt with this culture shock of living there and and feeling like I might stay what came, what ultimately cast me back into my path and and stuff was um yeah, I didn't die, I started healing. <laughs> and then I set, my body started putting on weight too rapidly and I, I had an experience where I had to go to the ER suddenly. <clears throat> it was in extreme pain. I thought it was kidneys or bladder or something. And the, after the x-rays and the doctor talked with me, he's like, no, it wasn't from losing weight too quickly. It's from putting on the weight really quickly and your frame can't adjust as you know so the fourth and fifth lumber did this which was really painful so that explained why I couldn't sit down or lay down It was extremely painful but I tried to recover from this and then realized I was trying to convince myself I was to stay in this country have a different life I really thought for a moment it was the way and then I survived a nine-foot fall and I was uh, or reminded that what I thought I was experiencing was not accurate or all there was really a not a great assessment so when I slipped and fell nine feet or so and hit all the back of my body my, my head on every stair going down cut, sliced myself open I have scars um, down this There's like a scar from here to here. This was punctured right there with metal and I lost the ability to kind of work my hands and my knees, I fell so hard, hit all, every step going down, but ultimately blacked out and couldn't yell for help. And I remember trying to speak and it was just like dead weight tongue, probably like a boxer when they get knocked out. So it was just, I was in blackness and I was realizing like, I thought I was dead because I was just like, I can't go like this. It was a a situation where someone was yelling at me, it's all your fault, get down here, fix this, chaotic energy, a storm coming, which was artificial, by the way, in my opinion, golf ball size hail, like months at a time, electrical storms and purple uh, lightning storms. Like these are all the patterns that you look for in those types of Scenarios. So, so basically I wasn't convinced that all my mental breakdowns and all this extreme climate and all these extreme pressure and changes were mine alone. I knew that I was under some kind of influence and conditioning to give up, if that makes sense. When I fell and I was in that pitch blackness, I thought to myself, this cannot be how I go and not because of somebody else's being that way like there's no way I don't consent to it and I basically was like send me back like what am I doing here and it was like this voice not a, a light and not an actual voice but it could have been just like question answer with even me you know it's just like send me back it's not how I go not done and there, the answer was like well, well why why do you deserve to you don't you don't you don't know what you're doing you don't you're not doing anything you want to practically die. Like it was that kind of, and I was like, but I want to help people and I, I know what's going on and I don't consent to this. I'm not dead, this is not how I go. And I wasn't yet put back into my body and being able to speak until I said, I said I wanted to help people, but that wasn't enough. It was when I said, by helping my myself. And as soon as I was saying self, boo, I was sitting there and I was holding myself up in this, the bottom of this attic area in pitch black. And I was thinking, am I dead? Am I dead now? Like, is thing, are things different? Can I walk, can I speak? And I was trying to scream for help so much and I could barely get it out. And someone heard me and and heard the table of people. And one of the people said, oh, she didn't probably fall from the top. She probably tripped over the body was like a weird moment where like I almost didn't get help but he thought to himself and this is a friend of the family who helped save my life he thought to himself that it was very unusual and he went to come see me and ended up driving me to the emergency and helped save my life because I was like I was bleeding profusely but it was coagulating so fast that they didn't want to treat me at the ER because they were convinced it was an old wound and his um speaking to them in another language, and then revealing to me that the doctor was his half-sister, that they weren't gonna treat me, that he was telling her I witnessed her fall, I saw it happen, and said my sister's name, the house I was at, the things that were, he's like, I witnessed it, so they had to treat me, but it was extreme, this hand was round, really, really round, like a bowling ball, and I didn't think I would ever use again, I couldn't close it or move it, and the puncture this way, through this like web area is what kind of crippled my hand for a long time. And, and I, couldn't, I couldn't even just close it or use this this whole side of my body previously from other injuries, but the, it just triggered like a lot of stuff. So yeah, I, I basically got better from rolling a lot of joints and having my mobility and dexterity return after learning how to like grow a bunch of great weed and being like, this is the way to go, you know. Component, not not the smoking it, not not just the rolling for the dexterity, but it was everything. You see, it was a life that I understood and agreed with because it was coded in me, and you. It's coded in all of us. The the um, the flower of life is the visual translation of the of or the seed of creation, the blueprint of life, right? And in that, it spirals. It all starts in the circle. So if you understand that, my name represents that. And the pattern and genesis ability, it occults much more. And I I was only just beginning to see that I was co-creating. I knew that after I was reset back into this experience, that because of the way I dealt with it, I was just gifted an element of the unknown. Like uh, something I could use to help after, after the experience in, in South America, um, and I realized that what I, what I had to offer may not be valuable to everyone, but offering it was valuable to me, and it wasn't going to take away from what other people would experience, because I'm not selling it, pushing it, and for me it was just um, handed and given, like, here you go, here's a piece, you might not want it, or a key, you don't have to turn it. But here it is. So later I realized my name was associated with holding keys and holding a torch for someone and a lamp holding time and space. But I think what I did was instead of focus on my family or the issues I had or the things I survived at, you know, 40 something, I knew what I was coming back to with the world being locked down. So I decided through art and music and the symbolism they use against us to correct the timeline, just rewrite it by creating, which is the generative principle, whatever I wanted. Write my own narrative, write my own script. I mean, that's everything that we consume, experience, feel, eat, see, wear. All this stuff's made by other people. You could make it yourself. You don't have to wait for permission. You know, you could be your own healer, your own teacher, your own musician, your own artist. You don't need to hand a paintbrush to someone and say, here, paint my life story or picture. I mean, you can, but you can paint it yourself, too. And no one can do it like you. And no one can say you're doing it wrong if they don't know what you're doing. So MAGA is the feminine of uh, Magi is plural. Mago is, is male, masculine. and. Um, you might know the word Magi from the three Magi, the three wise men. Magi is both a priest and a magician. Um, a Magi, the origin of the priest and the magician and astrotheology and the sciences, they're all one. They're separate. You know. But a Magi or a priest can, or a magician or a priest, can also be a trickster or a joker or a teacher, or a mother. A mother can raise or birth something into creation to seed something or um, to help. help it grow. But depending on what you tell a child, as you know, what you feed it, what it sees, what it feels, so we absorb in our auric field. And corona is aura symbolism, crown or ring. It's our ring of our DNA and our helix and our wholeness of our so if you don't have wholeness, you're allowing in your inner circle, you're going to be hacked. So it, it's a matter of understanding the etymology being used against us. It, it, Maga It's sorceress. My father taught me that, that it, and I learned that it could be source or sorcery because we are both the magician and the magic itself, or the art and the artisan is one then it's what we make, where we come from, where our beliefs are, our core and our
0: heart. It's not separate. So would you say that, that Maga is almost like the base code where everything builds from?
1: Yes, it, so if it means source or sorcery, it's basically the elements of any recipe, like RX means recipe or spell. So it's associated with that, with witchcraft. So you, it's whatever you put into it. It's not any element separate earth, wind, or fire, all of this is light vibrating, and it's all technically how you channel or focus that. So ma, ma is to make in most cultures. Mag in Sanskrit is to move, to vibrate or raise or, um, so there you have the connection between water and sound. To make, meaning also connected with us in the womb, waters of creation in the Bible but also pharmakia and sorcery. So it's a duality. It can be used against you if you're not aware of power dynamics or source. Like if I pick something up and say, well, I kind of want this, it looks good. But what's in it? Even nowadays when you read the ingredients, they're not being honest. Mm -hmm. So you have to do more than that to source something. You need to know where this was printed, what it was printed with, not just what's printed on it not they're they're not going to help you anymore. This is an attack on people that are not conscious. Magic and technology are are indistinguishable by definition. So it's hard to take sometimes when you know creation is such a duality. But when you embrace that you are co-creating, it's not as big or you know beyond you it's just you focus on that circle you go right back to just this space and you say what have I put into this what am I breathing seeing focusing on and um, whatever is going on in the world you you don't have to focus on it you don't have to watch a TV you don't have to keep up to date you don't have to watch time time is made up You know, you can make your own time. People will argue with that, but the people that make their own time will argue back that they're making a better time for themselves and for other people. I think, you know, we are what we make and we will uh, achieve what we believe either way. And if you're gonna be the one to be um, aware of this co-creation process, make it a good story, you know? Write a good story, so.